Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity's true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Is Christianity just a crutch that makes people feel better? Is Christianity too binary? Is it too exclusive? Is it too us versus them? Does God want to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell? What if you don't think Christianity works for you? What if it doesn't resonate with you? Does football resonate with you? Because, you know, Christianity is a lot like football. In fact, life is a lot like football. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we're here on Super Bowl weekend. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. I'm sure those of you that follow football have seen the comments recently of uh, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, a great quarterback, one of the best of all time. Uh, he did a podcast with his girlfriend, uh, Danica Patrick, who, as you know, was a race car driver until she retired. And uh, they talked a little bit about Christianity. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers was brought up as a Christian in a in a conservative, as far as I know, evangelical home in Chico, California. And uh, he talks a little bit about how he's moved away from that. And one of the reasons he's moved away from that is he ran into uh, Rob Bell. I don't know if you know who Rob Bell is. Uh, a number of years ago, he wrote a book. Well, he was, I think he was conservative early on. He had a big church in Michigan. And then he kind of went uh, left, kind of went liberal and wrote a book called Love Wins, which uh, resonated with Aaron Rodgers. It was a book about how uh, the traditional view of heaven and hell isn't, isn't right. He came out in support of same-sex marriage and, uh, it resonated with Roger. So I guess he and Rogers are friends and now he has pretty much dispensed with most of his Rogers has dispensed with most of his, what we would say are conservative Christian beliefs. And there is a, a, a core section of the interview that he and Patrick had that I want to read to you. This is what uh, Roger said. Uh, he said, some people just need structure. They need tradition and stuff. I don't have a problem with it. It just, it just, it just doesn't resonate with me. And then he went on to say this. I don't think it's very welcoming. Religion can be a crutch. It can be something that people have to to make themselves feel better. And because it's sort of binary, it's us and them, it's saved and unsaved, it's heaven and hell, it's enlightened and heathen, it's holy and righteous and sinner and filthy. I think that makes a lot of people feel better about themselves. They say, oh, I've got Jesus and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And there's only 144,000 of us going, even though there's 7 billion people on the planet. I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. Like uh, what type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? 
unquote. That's Aaron Rodgers, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Aaron Rodgers is a very smart man. He's a reader. In fact, I read an article in ESPN magazine. It's online. You can find it. Uh, and uh, he he loves to read. In fact, he said he loves to read, I think, in this podcast with uh, Miss Patrick there. And uh, he he does several crossword puzzles a week, apparently. He sometimes does them before games. He is a, a trivia expert, apparently. I think he's been on Jeopardy, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe some kind of celebrity Jeopardy. I thought I saw that somewhere. Anyway, he's, he's a smart guy. He, he went to UCAL Berkeley. And um, he's walked away from his Christian faith primarily. I think the core of it probably is summed up in what he just said there. So what I'd like to do is go through this and and uh, talk about it a little bit. And then at the end of this program or toward the end, I'd like to explain why I think life is a lot like football. And many of the things that uh, Aaron said here, I think if he thought through a little bit more, he might want to revise because... Well, you'll see as we go through. Let, let's let's go through what he said and uh, talk about it a little bit. First of all, he said it doesn't resonate with me. Elsewhere, he said Christianity doesn't work. Well, it depends what you mean by work. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that could work that aren't true, like lying, right? You can lie and it works, but that doesn't mean it's true. And there's maybe some things that are true that might not work for your preferences, but ultimately work in the end for your life because you got to have a purpose to know what works and what doesn't work. Just like in a football game, you have to know the purpose of the game in order to figure out if a particular play is a good or a bad play. Uh, in fact, we just released a video on this uh, on our YouTube channel about uh, football. And the point is, is that you can't tell whether your quarterback throwing in a touchdown is better than your quarterback throwing an interception unless you know what the purpose of the game is. If you don't know what the purpose of the game is, you can't say that this play worked and this play didn't work. Well, the same thing is true in life. If you're going to say something doesn't work for me, you have to implicitly have an idea of what your purpose of life is. And whether this particular belief system takes you closer to that purpose or closer to that goal or further from that goal. Now, I believe there is a real purpose to life, and that purpose is to know God and to make him known. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter uh, 16 or 17, I'm sorry, 17.3, when he's talking about, he says, he's praying to the Father, and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. He's praying to the Father. You may know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. What is eternal life? To know God. When do, you get, when do you get eternal life? When you believe. And you know God not just intellectually, but also volitionally. You know God personally. That's the purpose of life. So if someone were to say, well, Christianity doesn't work for me, yet if Christianity is true... Then if you don't follow Christ, you're not actually achieving the purpose of your life. Now, you may have chosen, chosen another purpose, but if there is an objective purpose, and that is to know Jesus, rejecting Christianity is taking, away, taking you away from your true purpose. Now, of course, you have the free will to go that direction. I'm just saying, when you say something doesn't work for you, it implies a purpose, and if you're going to say there's no purpose, just your own purpose, okay, you know, killing worked for Hitler, but that didn't mean it was a good thing. So works implies purpose. What is the purpose of life? 
He then goes on, and we're, now we're going back into what Aaron Rodgers said. He said, I don't think it's very welcoming. Religion can be a crutch. Okay, let me stop right here. Jesus isn't a crutch. He's a stretcher because you can't limp into heaven without him. And it's true that some people may lean on Jesus psychologically, but if Jesus really who he said he was or is, they should lean on him psychologically, spiritually, morally, in every way. And we need him because we are fallen creatures, sinful creatures who eventually get sick and die. And so he is necessary. And if he is the way to salvation and his sacrifice is the only way to be saved and trusting in him is the way to appropriate, appropriate that sacrifice, he's not just a crutch, he's a stretcher. There's nothing you can do to merit, to merit an eternal life. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. I understand the sense in which Aaron Rodgers is using this here, but you can easily say, and let me just continue with this quote and then I'll comment again. In fact, let me comment after the break because it's going to be a longer comment. We're coming up on a break here. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Uh, my name is Frank Turk. Our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. I just got off about a five uh, stop tour, which included a number of churches and uh, Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Ohio State University. If I sound a little hoarse, I am because I did a number of presentations in a row. And you can see those all on our YouTube channel. Uh, go to the Cross-Examine YouTube channel. You can see the entire presentations, including, including all the Q&A, particularly from Purdue and also from Ohio State. Some good questions from atheists on there. Check that out. We're back in just two minutes. We're going to see that life, or football's a lot like life. Don't go away. Ladies and gentlemen, can you help me with something? Can you help me get this podcast before more people? Not only tell your friends about it, but go up to iTunes and put a five-star review on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. If you do that, it will help us move the podcast up the charts so more people will hear it. Thank you so much for partnering with me on this. Is Christianity just a crutch? According to Aaron Rodgers, he said this. He said, I don't think it's very welcoming. Religion can be a crutch. It can be something that people have to make themselves feel better. Well, that's true. But what if it's really true? What if Christianity is really true? It should make you feel better. But you know what? Atheism can make people feel better, too, because you don't have any moral accountability. Uh, so can the nebulous, self-defined spirituality that it appears that Aaron Rodgers is now espousing because you can be spiritual and yet have no moral accountability. In other words, atheism and self-defined spirituality allow you to be your own God. You can go your own way. You can say I'm spiritual because you know, there's a spiritual realm. I mean, that's one thing I have to agree with the pantheists on, unlike the atheists, at least pantheists are able to, the new agers are able to admit, okay, it's the world isn't just material. There's, there's something else going on here. They might say that everything is God, but at least they realize there's something more than just molecules bumping into one another. But they don't have any moral accountability because there's no moral standard. It's just whatever you want to do. I remember we were down in uh, Dallas 
uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, myself, Jay Warner Wallace and Mike Adams, who were doing Fearless Faith. And oh, by the way, we're going to do Fearless Faith uh, next weekend in uh, in um, Flint, Texas, near Tyler, Texas. Uh, myself, the great uh, Detective Wallace and the equally great Dr. Mike Adams. We're going to be down there Friday night, Saturday night, and I'll be speaking on Sunday. Uh, all the details are on our website, uh, crossexamine.org. You can check it out there. I hope to see you there. Anyway, we we're doing a Fearless Faith in Dallas a few years ago, and a lady came up to me at the book table, and she said, hey, you got a good book on Buddhism. And I said, Buddhism? Why? She said, well, you know, I have a friend who uh, was a Christian, and, and now she's a Buddhist, and I just want to kind of witness to her. And I said, let me ask you a question. I don't know your friend at all, but I, I just want to ask you this. Did your friend who claimed to be a Christian suddenly start doing something that Jesus wouldn't want her to do? And she looked at me and she said, yeah. I said, you don't need a book on Buddhism. She just decided that she didn't want Jesus anymore because Jesus, in her view, got in the way of what she wanted to do. She had a moral problem. She, didn't have, she doesn't have an intellectual problem. She doesn't want Christianity to be true. She's not on a truth quest. She's on a happiness quest. And she's just going to believe whatever she thinks is going to make, make her happy. And so you may want to ask her some questions like, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Or if Jesus really rose from the dead to prove he was God, would you follow him? But given her facts isn't going to change her moral outlook. She's not interested in changing it. She wants to do her own thing. And this is one of the things that atheism or new ageism can help you do. It can help you do your own thing. It can help you just say, well, I don't have to obey anybody else. I'm my own God. All right, let me continue with what Aaron Rodgers said. We're in the middle of his quote. I'm just going through it line by line now. He said, and because it's meaning Christianity or religion is sort of bi binary. It's us and them. It's saved and unsaved. It's heaven and hell. It's enlightened and heathen. It's holy and righteous and sinner and filthy. Unquote. Now, remember, well, earlier in, an, in the interview, he said this rules, regulations and binary systems don't resonate with me. Unquote. All right. Now, I know he's thinking about this in the context of religion. But the rest of reality, including football, requires rules, regulations and binary systems. They're unavoidable. In fact, it's not just football. All of reality is binary, is binary. All of reality is either yes or no. Look, you either complete the pass or you don't. You either win the game or you don't. You're either Aaron Rodgers or you're not. Either God exists or he doesn't exist. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead. Either Christianity is true or it isn't true. Either hell exists or it doesn't exist. Either Aaron Rodgers thinks binary thinking is good or Aaron Rodgers doesn't think binary thinking is good. But that's binary thinking right there. In fact, it's self-defeating to say reality is not binary because saying it is not binary is the binary opposite of saying it is binary. Think about that for a second, ladies and gentlemen. I know that can give you intellectual constipation if you think about it long enough, but let me say it again. It's self-defeating to say reality is not binary. Because saying it is not binary is the binary opposite of saying it is binary. You can't get away from binary reality. 
All you can do is deny it, but in denying it, as opposed to affirming it, you are using the very binary thinking you are denying exists. This is just logic. This is just based on the three fundamental laws of logic, the law of identity, the law of the excluded middle, and the law of non-contradiction. Law of identity says A is A. Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. He's not somebody else. He's him. The law of the excluded middle is, look, you're either, uh, you're either pregnant or you're not. There's no middle alternative. Either God exists or he doesn't. There's no middle alternative. Either you won the game or you didn't. There's no middle alternative. And the law of non-contradiction says opposite ideas cannot be both true at the same time and in the same sense. So, for example, Aaron Rodgers couldn't have won the Super Bowl, I think it was in 2010, and not won the Super Bowl in 2010 at the same time and in the same sense. Those laws of logic, excuse me, show us that all of reality is binary. And to deny it's binary is to actually use binary thinking. In fact, think about it this way. The very podcast that Aaron Rodgers and Danica Patrick recorded required binary computer code. A bunch of, of uh, yes-no commands that allowed them to record that and post it on YouTube. And by the way, you can see the... You, you should watch the whole thing if you really want to get the full context. But they only talk about uh, Christianity for four or five minutes. Uh, I think it's over an hour long, this podcast. So you can listen to the whole podcast and listen to that whole section. And the binary reality of reality, we expect and we demand in almost every area of our lives. For example, we demand the truth, which is binary, from our loved ones, right? We don't want our loved ones to tell us lies. Did you cheat on me or not? It's a binary question. We want the truth from our doctors. Did you give me the right medicine or not the right medicine? Did you perform the right operation or not? Did you operate on the right knee or the other knee? <laughs> I mean, it's just binary. We want the truth from our stockbrokers. Is this a good company in which to invest or not? From our courts. Are we going to convict only the truly guilty or are we going to convict innocent people? How about from our employers? We want them to pay us fairly. We don't want them to cheat us. How about from airlines? We want them to tell us the truth, that their pilots are trained, that their maintenance is good. We don't want lies. We also expect the truth to be told when we pick up a reference book, read an article, read a blog. Sometimes you don't get it on the blog. We get it. We watch a news story or the news. We want them to tell us the truth. We want truth from advertisers, teachers, politicians. We want the truth. We don't always get it, but we're demanding it. And when they don't tell us the truth, we go, oh, that's a lie. We don't say, oh, that's binary thinking to say that, you know, that's a lie. If it is a lie, it's a lie. We assume road signs, medicine bottles, food labels all reveal the truth. We demand the truth for almost every facet of our life, our lives especially when it affects our money, relationships, our safety, our health. Why is it when we get to our ultimate life, our eternal life, we go up? Oh, now, whatever resonates with you, whatever works for you, 
Why do we think that binary yes, no thinking works in every area of life? But when it comes to the ultimate question, do we live on after this life? Is there anything beyond this life? We say, ah, whatever you believe is fine. Whatever works for you is fine. That, (laughs) I mean, it's really odd, isn't it? I think it's probably odd because we think, wow, if there is a God, he's going to get in the way of what I want to do. Maybe I ought to just be a little less black and white about that. Maybe I ought to just just claim that binary thinking doesn't work in that realm, despite the fact that all of reality is binary. In fact, when you say that binary thinking doesn't work in the religious realm, you're using binary thinking. Why? Because you're saying it doesn't work in the religious realm as opposed to working in the religious realm. Ravi Zacharias, who, as you know, is originally from India, says, yeah, that this kind of thinking goes on in India. But when somebody crosses the street, they go back to binary thinking. They say, look, it's either the bus or me, but not both. Okay. In an ESPN article that Aaron Rodgers was interviewed for, um, he is uh, actually uh, asked about a colleague of his, uh, a offensive lineman who, after he retired, decided to announce that he was gay. And here's what Rogers said. I'm incredibly, incredibly easy for me to say, sorry, incredibly proud of him. I know he had a lot of fear about it and how he would be accepted and how people would change around him. I think society is finally moving in the right direction as far as treating all people with respect and love and acceptance and appreciation. And the locker room, I think, And the locker room, I think the sport is getting closer. I think he meant, and I think in the locker room, the sport is getting closer, unquote. Well, notice how he said moving in the right direction. That's binary thinking. Why? As opposed to moving in the wrong direction. He's saying that there is a right way to live. And I agree with him. We ought to treat everybody with respect and love. But that doesn't mean we have to agree with everything someone does. In fact, I assume Aaron Rodgers would be upset with somebody who said, I ex- I treat everybody with love and respect because they're made in the image of God, but I don't think same-sex behavior is a good thing. I assume he would say, well, you're wrong. Well, that would be binary thinking if he said that, as opposed to being right. You see, you can't get away, no matter what you think about moral issues or any issue, it's always binary thinking. It's either yes or no. And of course, our 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 world, our moral world, gets uncomfortable when you say yes or no, because then that means we're accountable and we don't want that. And look, I'm not, I'm not insinuating that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want moral accountability. I don't know him personally. I don't know his life. I'm just saying that this is common among some people. And the way he seems to be speaking here is he's applying binary thinking on one hand while denying it on the other. That's all. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it, .org. And uh, we're going to talk more about uh, this binary thinking and some of these objections that Mr. Rogers has brought up. And then talk about why life is a lot like football. Don't go away. We're back in two minutes on Super Bowl Sunday. 
you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk and the American Family Radio Network. I want to mention that, as I said, we're going to be in Spring Tech, not Spring, um, Tyler, Texas, the 7th and the 8th for Fearless Faith, the 7th and 8th of February, and then I'll be at Flint Baptist. That's where we're having the uh, Fearless Faith Sunday the 9th. Then we're going down to Sam Houston State University with my friend Tim Ramsey. We're going to do I Don't Have Enough, I don't have enough Faith to Be an Atheist. On February 17th, that's a Monday night. Hope to see you there. That's uh, in Huntsville, Texas, north of Houston, hour, hour and a half or so. Uh, then the following week, we're going to do a tour through Nebraska. Going to start in Kearney uh, at a church on February 23rd and then do uh, a fundraiser for my friend Tim Stratton of Free Thinking Ministries on that evening. And then on the 24th, we'll be at the University of Nebraska in Kearney. And then on the 25th, University of Nebraska in Lincoln. And then on the 26th, University of Nebraska in Omaha. And my friend Tim Stratton setting all that up. So I hope to see you. And then end of the year, end of the year, end of the month, <laughs> I, mean, I was about to say leap year, but the 28th and 29th are going to be at Rethink Dallas. And you don't want to miss that. If you're anywhere near Dallas, Texas, that's going to be a great conference, not just myself, but of course, uh, Greg Kokel and the folks at Stand to Reason. I think Jay Warner Wallace will be there as well. Maybe Sean McDowell. Anyway, it's got a full lineup you can see on the Stand to Reason website, or you can go to Rethink and see more about that. So a lot coming up and uh, hope to see you out on the road if you're anywhere in those areas. So a lot in Texas, a lot in Nebraska coming up. All right, let's go back to uh, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, who, with his uh, girlfriend, Danica Patrick, uh, had a podcast, and they were talking about a lot of things, but they talked a little bit about Christianity. Let's go back to uh, Mr. Rogers' quote here when he said, I think that binary thinking makes a lot of people feel better about themselves. They say, oh, I've got Jesus, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. There's only 144,000 of, of, of us going, even though there's 7 billion people on the planet. Okay, unquote. Does he really think that's true? I mean, that's a, I think that's a Jehovah's Witness view. That's not, that's not the right interpretation of the scripture. But in any event, 144,000, he says, I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery, fiery hell. Like what type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent or omnipotent being wants to uh, condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell in all of this? Now, my question is this, it's unquote from Aaron Rodgers. Where does the Bible say that God wants to do this? I mean, God would never have sent Jesus if he wanted to do that. He wouldn't have sent anybody. He'd create us and then he'd just damn us all. But he doesn't do that. He wants to save us. But since we have free will, he can't force us to love him. Forced love would be a contradiction. So what does he do? 
He gives us free will and he sends the Savior into the world. And if we want to accept him, we can. He wants everybody to be saved. The scriptures say that. He doesn't want to condemn anybody. And it seems like Aaron Rodgers seems to think that God wants to do that. And it also seems like his main problem here is a moral one, that somehow God is immoral for creating hell, that God is immoral for allowing most in his view to go there, that God is immoral because those who have never heard about Jesus go there. And that would be unloving because there's another quote in here I didn't have time to read, but he seems to indicate that that's a problem. And a lot of people have that question. I got that question the other night at uh, Purdue, I think it was. What about those that have never heard? Now, my question here is, okay, those are all good questions or those are questions that we need to address, but where is he getting that moral standard from? The moral standard that says God is immoral if he does these things. He seems to be stealing from God while he's arguing against him. Now he can say, okay, I believe in God, but the God of the Bible is not the true God. Okay, you can make that case. The problem is then you have to deal with all the evidence that the God of the Bible is the true God. Otherwise, you don't have a standard by which to judge that God is immoral for doing any of these things, even if he was doing those things. And I submit to you, he's not doing those things. He's, he doesn't want everybody to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to go there. But what can he do with free creatures? Even an omnipotent or an omnipotent, depending upon how you want to pronounce it, an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God can't do what's logically contradictory. And what's that? He can't force free creatures to love him. All he can do is love them and hope he loves them back. And hope they love him back. That's all he can do. He can't force free creatures to love him. That would be a contradiction. Now, I understand his sentiment. I understand that, look, I've had these questions. You know, is God immoral? But he probably doesn't realize that the reason he has that sentiment is because he's taken the culture's watered down definition of love and tried to make it work in reality. It doesn't work in reality. It makes a mockery of real love and justice. Love is not winking at sin and winking at evil and letting it go unpunished. That's not love. That's unloving. I mean, would a parent be loving if he never punished evil? Would God be loving if he never punished evil? Would, would God be loving if he never punished, say, Hitler, Stalin, child rapists, murderers? Would he never be loving? Or would, would, would he be loving if he didn't punish those sins? No, of course he wouldn't be loving. Love requires that you punish sin. And justice certainly does. And God is infinitely just and he's infinitely loving. And since he is the standard of love and justice, no one in the afterlife is going to be treated unfairly. There's not going to be anybody who's going to be able to say, you know, I really got a raw deal here, God. You're better than this. You could have, you could have done better by me. No, no one's ever going to be able to say that. It's impossible because he, by definition, is the standard of goodness and love and justice. So I think that while Mr. Rogers brings up some questions that Christians have to answer, he hasn't gotten rid of the truth of Christianity. And we've talked about a lot of times on this program before about what about those that have never heard. And, um, you can go to our YouTube channel and see responses to that quite clearly. 
Uh, we have several videos on it. Let me just give a short answer to it. First of all, the Bible doesn't really talk about those that have never heard, except it does appear that Paul says in Acts 17 that God has appointed the times and places where people should live, that he so prearranged events that people freely where, live where they should live so that some people would find him, although he's not far from each one of us. In other words, Paul seems to be saying that God has so ordered the world in such a way that people who hear the gospel and want to hear the gospel will hear it. And those that don't hear the gospel maybe wouldn't have believed in any way. So it might be that those who never hear about Jesus wouldn't have believed him anyway. In fact, if they've turned away from natural revelation, creation and conscience, then getting them more revelation, the gospel isn't going to help them. They've already rejected the light they have. Getting that person more light isn't going to help them. And as I mentioned earlier, at the end of the day, God is going to be just. Nobody's going to be able to say, God, you've been unjust to me. You've been unfair to me. You, you haven't been right to me because he is the very standard of justice and love. So let me now transition to the point where we talk a little bit. No, I got to say one more thing about Aaron Rodgers because he, he said something else in here. Uh, let me quote this. He says, I think questions... Uh, oh, he says here, the Bible opens with a poem. It's a beautiful piece of work, but it was never meant to be interpreted as I think some churches do. And then the, the writer here, this is the ESPN article says, I ask him whether he still sees himself as a Christian. And he says he no longer identifies with any affiliation. He says, I think questions like that in your mind lead to really beautiful periods when you start to grow as a person. I think organized religion can have a mind debilitating effect or debilitating effect because there's an exclusive is ex, exclusive. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I have like a head cold. <laughs> Exclusivity that can shut you out from being open to the world, to people and energy and love and acceptance, unquote. Let me agree with Aaron Rodgers. It can, but not if you follow Jesus. I mean, why do you think that love and acceptance are good things? By what moral standard are you demanding that people are morally obligated to be loving and accepting? Again, Aaron Rodgers appears to be stealing a moral standard in order to say that these are the, this is the right way to live. And the standard that he's asking us to live is the standard of Jesus. Yes, to love people and accept people. That, but that, again, doesn't mean you accept everything they do. If you truly love people, you won't accept evil things that they do. So Aaron Rodgers goes on to say, uh, he says, that wasn't really the way I was maybe the first 25 or 26 years of my life. I was, you know, more black and white. This is what I believe in. And then at some point you realize, I don't really know the answers to these questions, unquote. Now, he doesn't say that he's looked into the evidence or the answers. He just says, I don't know the answers. Well, there are answers out there. These issues have been written on for millennia. Have you looked into them? If you haven't, listener, and you have these same questions, you ought to look into these things because there are answers. We just hinted at a few of them here, but notice to say it doesn't really work for me. It doesn't really resonate with me. 
This has nothing to do with evidence. This just has to do with preference. Well, if you're dealing with preferences, then why would you condemn other people who try and live their life based on truth rather than just preferences that they have a binary way of thinking because all of reality is binary. Things are either true or false, right or wrong, good or bad. That doesn't mean we understand everything that way. There may be areas of gray. We just don't have the answer yet. I'm not saying everything's figured out, but I am saying that certain that, that propositions are true or false. You may not know the right answer, but they are either true or false. And certain actions are right and other actions are wrong. That's just the way life is. That's the way life is in morality. That's the way life is in finances. That's the way life is in football. That's the way life is in all walks of life. Why do we expect our spiritual world to be different? In fact, if you think about this, the laws of logic are spiritual in the sense that they're immaterial. <laughs> so they are the apparatus, the rules we use to discover everything else. And without them, we couldn't know anything. So it seems to me to be wrong, as opposed to right, that's binary, to say that life isn't binary. Of course it's binary. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk about how life is a lot like football. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just a couple of minutes on Super Bowl weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. If you like what we do, would you please consider going to crossexamined.org and giving us a tax-deductible donation. 100% of your donations will go to ministry, 0% to buildings. Thanks so much. All right, I've been told it's Kearney, Nebraska, not Kearney, Nebraska. Sorry, I'm from New Jersey. I don't pronounce things well. Well, that's where I'll be at the end of the month, and uh, I'll be elsewhere before then. As I mentioned earlier, go to our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see Frank Turek calendar. we got a lot coming up in the month of February and beyond. Now, we're talking about uh, life is a lot like football and a Super Bowl. And I noticed, and I originally remember a presentation my mentor did on this years ago, Dr. Norman Geiser, how life is like a Super Bowl. I've, I've looked at his presentation and thought about it a little bit more, added a few insights to it. And uh, if you think about football and life, there's at least, there's probably more than this, but let me just list seven things that are common between the two of them. Number one, there are two teams of players. Number two, there are rules to the game, both to football and to life. Number three, there's a referee, and I'll unpack that in a minute. Number four, there are coaches on both sides. Number five, there's a playbook, and you can play by the playbook or do your own thing. Number six, there's a purpose to the game. And then number seven, there are winners and losers. There are rewards and punishments. So let's see how this relates. Those seven things I think are consistent or are commonalities between life and a football game. Now, there are obviously a lot of differences, too. Let's talk about the first. There are two teams of players. First of all, unlike football, everyone, on, everyone in life is on one team or another, whether you know it or not. 
In fact, the players are automatically on one team unless they accept the invitation to be on the other team. In other words, we're all on the side of darkness unless we accept the free invitation into the light. Everyone is on a road to punishment. Everyone is on the road to losing. Everyone is on the road to hell unless they accept the free gift of salvation in Jesus. So we have to accept the free gift. But there are two teams of players. Now, like football, there are still spectators. Who are the spectators? The referee and a great cloud of witnesses who have played before. You can go to Hebrews chapter 12 on that, I believe, or maybe chapter 11. Number two, there are rules to the game. Now, like in football, neither side follows the rules perfectly, although one side is trying to follow them more so than the other side. Unlike football, the players on one team are in willful rebellion of the rules. And they're also urging others to disobey the rules as well. See the end of Romans chapter one for that. So you got two teams of players. You got rules to the game. Number three, you got a referee. Now, this is obviously God the father. And uh, this referee has set the rules in advance. Now, in football, the rules are arbitrary, of course, in life. The rules are not arbitrary. They are set based on the nature of the referee, based on the nature of God. But that's another conversation completely. And in football, the ref is not perfect. Sometimes the ref blows the call. You got to go to replay. But in life, the referee is perfect. He never blows a call and he doesn't need replay. Now, at the end of time, he's going to show you the replay and you're going to be embarrassed. Okay, (laughs) you're not going to get the call reversed. Yep. Yep. I'm guilty. I blew that. Okay, that's in real life. You're not going to get the call reversed. The only way you're going to get the call reversed is that if you accept the free gift of forgiveness. All right. So, okay, you got two teams of players. You got rules to the game. You got a referee. Number four, there are coaches on both sides. Now, one coach is undefeated. Even though it looked like he was defeated at one point, he triumphed over the evil forces, Colossians chapter two, and is undefeated. In fact, he won the game for his team. We'll get to that in a minute. The other coach is defeated, but he acts like he's a winner. He puts on a, he talks a good game, but once he gets on the field, it, uh, it doesn't work out. Now, both coaches have staffs that either train the players or tempt the players. So you got coaches on both sides. Number five, there's a playbook. Now, one team tries to follow the playbook, the Bible, and for Christians, when it comes to Christian living, most of that is found in the New Testament, although obviously you have Proverbs and Psalms and others. Um, That's the playbook. The one side tries to follow the playbook, although they sometimes fail to follow it. They don't no, no one follows it perfectly. Players on the other team, however, they rebel against the playbook because each one of them wants to call their own plays. They don't want they don't want to do what anybody else says. They want to do what they want to do. So there's a playbook respected by one side, disrespected by the other. 
Okay, so you got two teams of players. You got rules for the game. You got a referee. You got coaches on both sides. You got a playbook. Number six, there's a purpose to the game. Now, unlike football, in life, you're not trying to score more points than the other team. You're trying to show the players on the other team why it would be better if they would join your team. Now, why are you trying to do that? Because you have a perfect coach who knows how to get the best from and for every player. And he can ensure complete victory. And even though the coach has already achieved victory and given it to you as a gift, you can actually help others join the winning team by using your skills and your gifts to recruit others to also build a bigger team and to share in the victory. Now, just like in football, you have to know what the coach wants you to do to play the game well. If you follow the coach well, then your example on the field helps recruit, or if you don't play it well, it might repel, other players either to or from your team. Your goal is to know and emulate the coach so well that you become an effective recruiter and eventually an effective coach yourself. That's what you're trying to do. As you become like your coach, you'll attract others to be excellent recruiters and coaches themselves. That's why you're in the game. You still work, but you work for the coach because he's already provided you with the victory. He's just help. He's just he's just allowing you the ability to expand the kingdom. He's allowing you the ability to expand the kingdom. And he's given you the ability to do so. He's given you certain gifts, certain talents to do so. All right. So you got two teams of players. You got rules to the game. You got a referee. You got coaches on both sides. You got a playbook. You got the purpose of the game. Finally, number seven, you got winners and losers. There's going to be rewards and punishments. Unlike football, the outcome of this game has already been decided. The winning coach sacrificed his desires for his players and he won the game for him. The losing coach has always has always been all about getting glory for himself. That's why, although it seems like he's winning the game sometimes, like during the game, it seems like, oh, man, he made a great play. His team made a great play. In the end, he's going to be humiliated along with his selfish players. And some are going to be humiliated more than others, depending on their acts on the field. Now, in the game of life, unlike football, at any time during the game, the losing players can join the winning side. They'll enjoy the celebration, but not as much as those who have exerted themselves by playing for the winning team the whole time. In other words, there's going to be rewards and there's going to be punishments. And you have the ability to decide, are you going to be on the winning team or are you going to stay on the losing team? Because you want to do your own thing over there. Instead of trying to please the coach, you're trying to please yourself. So life is a lot like football because there are two teams. There are rules. There's a referee. There are coaches on both sides. There's a playbook. There's a purpose. And there's going to be winners and losers, rewards and punishments. And those rewards and punishments are going to be meted out based on works. But whether you're in the winning locker room or the losing locker room, 
that's dependent on whether or not you've accepted the free invitation to the winning locker room. Have you accepted that? Why wouldn't you accept it? It's free. You can't do anything to earn it. Unlike the Super Bowl, you don't achieve your salvation in Christianity. You receive your salvation. You don't achieve it. You receive it. You don't achieve your identity. You receive your identity. Because Jesus has done it all. Out of gratitude for what he's done for you, you live a life that reflects back to him the beauty that he has provided you and you share that with others. Now, back to Aaron Rodgers and the ESPN article from a couple of years ago, it ends this way. It had been six years since Rodgers' trip to the Super Bowl. Let's update that. Now it's been nine. And Rob Bell still remembers what his friend told him after he won. So here's what Rodgers said after he won the Super Bowl. I've been to the bottom and been to the top. And peace will come from somewhere else, unquote. Amen, Aaron Rodgers. Peace doesn't come by earthly accomplishments. It only comes from the Prince of Peace. The one who came, lived the perfect life in our place, took our punishment on himself. The one we were all created to know. It comes from him. So I pray that you would accept that and everyone listening would accept that and accept the invitation to the winning team because it's free in other words everybody can be a winner because christ has made everybody a winner everybody who wants to be can be by simply accepting the free gift all right ladies and gentlemen it's great meeting with you i'm frank turek website crossexamine.org i hope to see you here next week god bless If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.